Well, good evening. As I look over this crowd tonight, a verse comes to mind. Many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> so, be encouraged. I'm so grateful that you're here tonight. Did everyone receive a handout um, of what we're going to look at tonight? Good, good. Okay, well, we want to take some time this evening to follow up on something that we touched on today, and I referenced two great resources that God has given us for guidance as we pray. And the first one was His Word, and the second one was His Spirit. And tonight, in a practical way, I want us to give attention to how His Word is useful to us when we pray. Practical ways that you can use His Word as a guide when you pray. I want to begin by reading a passage of Scripture that I'm going to come back to at the very end, found in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Luke 5, verses 12 and 13. And here's what it says. It's a stunning verse. Luke 5, verse 12, and it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed, immediately the leprosy left him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us tonight how to use your word to talk with you. For that person who wrestles in their prayer life with knowing what to say, who wrestles with concentration and wanting to keep their mind focused on you and what is on your heart, keeping their mind from wandering and at the same time laying hold of those things that you're wanting to do through our prayer life. Father, for that person, I pray that he or she would be encouraged. We invite you here as our teacher. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Well, on your handout, I have described, and you don't have to fill in the blanks tonight, uh, so you get a break from that. But I've described several methods for praying using God's Word. But before we get into this, I want to read something to you. You have heard me mention before George Mueller, who was a man of faith in the 19th century, who by faith built orphanages, sustained orphanages, fed thousands and thousands of children, and tr simply trusted God to use him to take care of those children. And his whole life was a demonstration of what it is to walk and live by faith. There's a point in his autobiography where he talks about this very subject that we're looking at tonight, which is how to use the Scripture when we pray. And um, it's in the autobiogra uh, autobiography of George Mueller. And I just want to read some sections of it. And if you'll bear with me, it will help us understand the importance of what, what we're doing. He describes years of of trying to focus and concentrate when he prayed and being somewhat frustrated in that, in that exercise. And here's what he says. 
I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning. The first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon His precious Word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. Not for the sake of the public ministry of the Word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably this, that after a few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer but the meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer. When thus I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or having give thanks, I go on to the next words of the verse. He's still in one verse. I go on to the next words of verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others as the word may lead to it, but still continually keeping before me that food for my own soul as the object of my meditation. And he says some other things, but then he describes the difference. The difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible. And generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer or almost all the time. At all events, I almost invariably began with prayer except when my when I felt my soul to be more than usually barren, in which case I read the Word of God for food or for refreshment or for revival and renewal of my inner man before I gave myself to prayer. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour or half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc. And often after having suffered from much wandering of mind, For the first ten minutes or quarter of an hour or even half of an hour, I only then began really to pray. Can you identify with that? And this is a a man that God used mightily in the 19th century. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to know Christ through his walk. And uh, it was his walk with God by faith that inspired a missionary named Hudson Taylor to go to China and live and walk by faith. And, um, and so be encouraged. And I want you to, um, to see the importance of using God's Word and making it a vital part of your prayer time um, when, you, when you pray. Well, here's some things that I believe support what we talked about this morning and that I believe that can be helpful to you. I think the most basic way of using God's Word when you and I pray is to pray His promises to go into the Scripture, and as I read it, when I recognize a promise from God, to make a note of it and to pray it back to Him. There are other occasions where I may be experiencing something in my life, a problem, a need, a challenge, an area where I need to grow or develop, and, and I can actually go looking at that point in the text, in the Scripture, use my concordance, use a, a topical Bible to help find what I'm looking for. But here's, here's some examples of a promise of His presence. Uh, here's one example, Matthew 28, 20. You know this verse, but have you ever prayed this verse? He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the moment when you feel like He's not there, that's a verse to pray. 
You know it with your head. But when you begin to pray that and talk to the Lord about it with your heart, Lord, your word says to me that you are always with me, and there's never a moment that you're not with me. And, um, and based on your word, I welcome you here with me. Another example, Zephaniah 3.17, one of, my, one of my personal verses that I absolutely love. The Lord your God is with you. That's a statement of truth. It is a fact, and it is a promise. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. These are all affirmations of how God approaches you. A promise of his forgiveness. When you've done something or you look at something in your past and you keep bringing it back up again and again or you've done something in your present and it is absolutely plaguing you and destroying you, 1 John 1, 9 is a promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I found that when I'm wrestling with something in my heart that, that my head knows is true, but my heart doesn't know it's true, I found that I need to go back to passages like that over and over and over again, Lord. I understand in your word that if I agree with you about my sin, that you forgive me. And there, I usually pile on. There are usually other verses that I'll use. But I'll stay there until my heart is trusting him, trusting his word that it is true. Uh, promise opposing worry. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. You are not falling out of control, even though it may feel that way. A promise of guidance. Psalm 37, 4 and 5, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. What a wonderful passage to pray when you need guidance. Lord, I want to delight in you and just stopping right there and taking time to do just that, to delight in him, make him the focus of your affection, of your pursuit, of what's really important to you, and praying through that passage for guidance. So praying his promises, there are books that, that are compilations of the promises of God that you can find often in a Christian bookstore. You have resources often in your Bible the very back of your Bible, if you need help locating the promises of God, come see, I think, any staff member. I think we can help you do that. Or your Sunday school teacher. Here's a second way to use the Scripture when you're praying. Use the Scripture to prompt and fill your prayer time. Use the Scripture to prompt and fill your prayer time. This is a way of taking any passage of Scripture and turning it into a prayer. Um, and basically what you do is you take each major thought, each major statement, and you reflect on it, and then you pray about it. For example, Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16. Uh, if I was praying through this and using it to pray, talk to the Lord, I would break it down the way I did here, into these four um, divisions. And I hate, uh, I don't hate doing this, but it's a little artificial. Let me ask you to bow your heads for just a moment, okay? Lord, your word says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And Father, that tells me that you are a high priest. Lord Jesus, that you make intercession for me always like a high priest. 
And whereas a man may not know me and who I am and what I have done, you know everything about me. And you were a man yourself. And you know what temptation is. And you understand the forces that come against me. And then, Lord, your word says, but, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And, Lord, I don't fully understand what it was like for you. But I think I've done something when I've endured temptation for a minute or two. But, Lord, you endured it for a lifetime. And you never sinned. Lord, your word says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And so, Father, myself and with these brothers and sisters, we do that. We come confidently, not because of anything in of ourselves, but because it is your grace and your favor and your direction that commands us to come and that you would welcome us and that you would receive us. And then, Lord, your word says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, the words mercy and help just stand out, that we can find mercy, that we can find grace at your throne. Mercy being something that you don't give me that I do deserve, but you withhold it. and You give me mercy instead. Grace, Father, is you giving me something that I don't deserve. And to find favor with you because of what you did for us on the cross is the great blessing of our lives. And thank you for your precious word. Amen. And you can take whatever your Bible reading is and however you're reading through the scripture or if you're like me, you, you go a lot slower. I'm always in the slow group. And there's days I don't get past a verse. Um, and however, whatever approach you're using, uh, if we can slow it down, we can take a passage of Scripture and let it become an outline or a prompt for our prayer time. It's a little artificial for me to do that in front of you, but I want you to have an, a sense or idea what it is when we pray Scripture like that. There's another way to pray Scripture. And that's to turn the scripture into a prayer through personalization, making it personal, putting yourself into the text, making the words your words. That's a little different than what I just did. What I did a moment ago was I used the scripture to create the topics that I talked about. In this particular case, it's actually letting the scripture be the content of what I'm saying to the Lord. Let it fill the content and praying that scripture directly to him. For example, in 2 Timothy 1.8, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me, he says to Timothy, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So this is Paul addressing Timothy. How would you personalize something like that? Here's an example. May I not be ashamed to testify about you, Lord, but join with others in suffering for the gospel according to your power, God. And so the very words of the scripture become the words of your prayer. 
There are other examples here, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can look up the original for yourself, but you can take a passage like that and make it your prayer. Because of all you have done for me, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice for this day. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, affirming that your will for me is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians 3, since I have been raised up with you, Lord Jesus, I will keep seeking the things above where you are seated at the right hand of the Father. I will set my mind on your things above, not on the things that are on earth. And then, of course, when you move to Psalms or some of the prophets, it's already personalized. It's already first person, and you can pray those things. The last one I want to share with you is really an ancient form that goes back, I was going to say to the Middle Ages, but it really goes back before the Middle Ages to the first thousand years or so of church history, and it was called Lectio Divina. It's a Latin um, word, and it originated in monasteries where monks would gather in a community like this in a room, and they didn't have a scripture for everybody. Everybody didn't have a, a Bible to use. And so one person would read the Scripture aloud. Everybody else would listen. They usually were very careful to prepare their heart and listen reverently, but they went through a series of readings, and each time they went through those series of readings, they were, they were doing something on a personal level as they prayed and as they reflected. And, and I want you to see an outline for this. I've done this with, um, interestingly, I've done this with a lot of pulpit committees over the years. Um, not that we're talking to me, but that I was training, or, um, or if I was working with a committee that was um, doing an intentional interim ministry where they were trying to look at all the needs in the church and address those needs. Whenever we would meet, we would go through this kind of exercise first. They didn't know it was Lectio Divina, but that's what it was. Um, there are four parts to it. You take a passage of Scripture, and you read it. That's the first thing. You take a few minutes to be still. You invite the Holy Spirit to be your guide. And you read it once, twice, three times, four times. Whatever's necessary to, to slow down and to be still. And to really read the Scripture. Second thing, meditate. And the way meditation is used in Lectio Divina it's a time to listen to what the Lord is highlighting. So if someone's reading a scripture, uh, this may happen to you on Sunday mornings. It may happen in a Sunday school class. This happens to you. Uh, the pastor reads a scripture, and he goes on and preaches his sermon. But something in the scripture caught your attention. And suddenly, you're thinking about that phrase or that verse and not his sermon. <laughs> and that's okay. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit has, has riveted that particular phrase or word on your heart and your mind. And that's what I'm talking about here in, in terms of meditation as you have read the text. What are the words or phrases or thoughts that have, have been awakened in you, have come to mind as you have read that text? Be conscious of that. Be aware of that. I keep a journal. It helps sometimes even to write those things down. And then you pray. We've talked about different ways to pray the Scripture. But then you pray at that point. You enter into a conversation with the Lord. It's prompted by what you've seen or heard in the text. And you just talk to him about it. And, um, and then finally, there's contemplation. Instead of getting up when you're done and rushing off, you just stop 
No words, just be still. Know that he is God. And carry him with you as you get up to go. Contemplation. Now, a variation on this, and this is particularly valuable if you're a person who struggles with the truth of Scripture being real to your heart. And I've made reference to that in my own walk with God. There have been challenges for me over the years. And so this has been a very, very helpful process that the Lord has used to heal my heart in a variety of ways. And, and that passage I read to you earlier, let me, let me use that as an example. Instead of just, just reading different passages, you go to passages where Jesus is interacting with someone typically the New Testament. He's interacting with someone, and you watch what he's saying, you watch what he's doing in relationship to that person, you watch how he's acting, you watch his response to them, and you learn from that, because that's the truth about him. And that's the truth about how he relates to you and how he relates to me. And so it's a form of meditation. It's a spin on this Lectio Divina that, I'm, that I was uh, sharing with you. Let's go back to the verses I read at the very beginning, and I'm going to kind of close with this. Look again, Luke 5, verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now just pause a moment think about that guy, that guy. And here's a man, we don't know how long he's been in this condition. Those of you who are Bible scholars know that someone who was full of leprosy could not even come into the town. They could not be with their families. They could not be with ordinary people. They couldn't carry on conversations with people. They couldn't interact with people. They could never have contact with people of any sort, of any kind. Uh, the closest thing to it in the modern era that I saw and experienced vividly years ago was, was when AIDS first broke out on the West Coast. And Gail and I were living there, and I would visit men who were dying of AIDS and would encounter circumstances where nurses in hospitals would not tend to their care for fear that they might contract the disease. And, and no one would touch them. And when typically, I, knowing this passage in particular, when I would go in and pray with them, one of the first things I would do is put my hand on their shoulder or on their arm or on their hand and pray with them because they can't be touched. The lepers couldn't be touched in Jesus' day. Look at what Jesus does. Here's this guy. He can't connect with anybody, can't touch anybody. That causes wounds in and of itself that go way beyond the disease. You understand that, don't you? It's far beyond the disease. It causes a wound in the heart that's deep about who you are and how much worth you are and how much value you have to anybody. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just focus on that word willing. See, that's what he was really interested in. He wanted to be healed, but he wanted to know that the Lord was willing to heal him. Look how Jesus responds. Then he put out his hand and touched him before he said anything and before he healed him. You see that? Before he said anything and before he healed him, the first thing he did was reach out and touch him. Nobody did that in Jesus' day. Saying, I am willing, <laughs> be cleansed. And the leprosy was gone.
But it was more than just the leprosy that was healed at that moment. It was the man's soul. And he is a God to be praised because he heals all the diseases of our soul, it says in Psalm 103. And, and so if you're a person who has trouble really believing the things that we believe, you know it with your head, but it's not here. Slowing down, going to texts like this where Jesus is interacting with people, watching him. I can't explain how he does it. But the word and the spirit and your praying and talking with him can heal your soul as well. Those are some ways to pray the scripture. And you may use all of them at once or just one at a time, however it is. But I wonder tonight, you know, we're talking about a very, uh, very much an in-house practice when we talk about praying and talking to the Lord. But I wonder if someone tonight is here that needs to know Christ. Uh, I'm looking, I think, at mostly familiar faces. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to have a time of response tonight. And I want to invite you to come. Jesus came into this world to die for your sins, to remove every obstacle, every barrier between you and a holy God who loves you enough to send Jesus. And if you want to receive him tonight, I'll be down front. I'll be happy to pray with you. I'll share scripture with you. And I'll share with you how a person comes to know Christ. But brothers and sisters, if you need to simply pray, when we stand and sing, you can bow your head or you can come to the front. Uh, maybe you're a person who wrestles with what I call exceptionalism. Exceptionalism is, is you read a verse like John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world. And you know world means everybody, but somehow you're the one that's the exception. And maybe that's you. And, and you have a heart that needs to be healed, sir, if that's what's happening to you or ma'am. And if that's, if that's what's happening to you, I want to invite you tonight to just open your heart to him and say, Lord, make it real to me. Father, make it real to me. Every time I open your word, Lord, would you teach me to pray your word and may the truth of it sink deeply into my soul and change me and change my heart. You may have a burden for yourself or someone else, and you may want to come and pray down front, or I'll be happy to pray with you, and I'll be here at the front. I'll be glad to do that. As God has spoken, how will we respond? Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful, thankful for your precious holy word that is living and alive and feeds our inner man in a way that defies description and is beyond our thinking and our feeling. It runs deep. Father, when your son was tempted, he said that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, increasingly, may we be a people who are absolutely dependent on your word for life. Fathers, we respond to you now. May the response of our heart bring you pleasure. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.